Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, so we're back into the Gospel of John, and we're getting very close uh, to, to the conclusion. Uh, on the calendar, today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, if, if you don't know, if you didn't grow up around church, Palm Sunday is the day when we mark Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. When he comes to Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey, and, and the, the crowd is so excited to see him, they lay palm branches down on the road the way they would for visiting royalty or a returning uh, conqueror. It, it's kind of a royal welcome that Jesus receives, and so we mark that day as Palm Sunday. But in the narrative, in the biblical narrative, we're way ahead of that, because there's a ton of text between Palm Sunday and where we are now. So we're jumping ahead in that narrative, and if you haven't been with us before, uh, or you, maybe you missed the last couple of weeks, Jesus has completed uh, his time in the upper room with his disciples. Uh, he, he's talked at length to them. Jesus is now uh, on death row. He's going to die the next day. He's going to die horribly, and he knows it. So he's done saying goodbye to the 11, to his friends. And now they cross the Kidron Valley. They go to a grove of olives. I almost said Olive Garden in the last service, and that's not, it's no breadsticks. Okay, so you go uh, to the Olive Grove, not the Olive Garden, the Olive Grove, and they're, they're waiting now, because this is a place where Jesus would go to kind of collect his thoughts. And then Judas shows up with this contingent of soldiers that are gonna take Jesus captive. And we, where we left it off last week, Something, uh, something inexplicable appears in the text. Something supernatural, apparently, happens in the text. And I'm going to reread it now because it's going to dovetail right perfectly into where we're headed for today. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 18, beginning at verse 4. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Okay, so we've got this, this thing that is recorded for us that, that, that happened on this night in this, in this olive grove. There's a contingent of Praetorian guards. You've seen these guys in the movies. They've got body armor, and they've got weapons, and they're diesel, and they're, 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 you know, these are not little wimpy guys. And Jesus steps forward and says, I am he, and they just get knocked over. So what is happening? We talked about this, like the grammatical stuff that was going on last week. Jesus doesn't just identify himself and go, oh yeah, hi, hi guys, that's me, I'm Jesus, here's my business card, Jesus, nice to meet you, how's everything? That's not what's happening. He's not just identifying himself as Jesus. When he says, I am he, if you look in your Bible or you look on the screen, it's I, capital A, capital M. I am is a throwback to the book of Exodus. We talked about this last week as well. When God tells Moses his name, when God says to Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, and Moses says, well, who, who am I going to say sent me? Like, we don't know your name. God reveals himself to Moses and says, I am. That is my name. The present tense form of the verb to be. And I'm aware that it's awkward grammatically, but that's what Jesus is saying. He's not just identifying himself. He says, I am he. And then these guys just go down like bowling pins. They just fall. Now, there are 
scholarly explanations for this. There are you know, there's, there's uh, biblical commentaries that have been written. Biblical scholars have studied this and offered up explanations, uh, most of which I found intellectually not satisfying. I, was, I wasn't buying most of it. Most of these guys believed Jesus saying, I am he, is blasphemous. Jesus is claiming, he's not just identifying himself, he's saying, I am God. That's what's in the text. So, so there was a, the, the common theory was, no, these guys were horrified that he had blasphemed, and it just, they just you know, fell over, and they were clutching their pearls, and they couldn't believe it. Like, that's just not how it went. This is not what, demonstrably not what happened in the text. So what did happen? What was going on there? Why did this column of soldiers fall? My theory, and we talked about this last week, is that just at this moment, Jesus is experiencing his last minutes of freedom. He's experiencing his last minutes of freedom before they take him captive. And given the stress that he's under, and given the, 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 the ordeal that he is now staring down the barrel of, given the duress of the moment, my theory is that just for a split second, he flashed his eyes at them. I think just for a, for a split second, the tiniest little fraction of his divinity shone forth and it knocked them over. I think that's what happened. That's the only explanation that to me is intellectually satisfying. And they knew when they stood up, the only way that guy is coming with us is on his terms. We're not taking him. He's going to have to surrender. And now the pace picks up. Now the tension is up. If this was a movie, the soundtrack is crescendoing. The, the, the cuts are coming fast. Uh, this, this, this now takes the pace of like an action movie. Here's what, here's what happens next. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Okay, so, wow, what's happening in that verse? Okay, so, so this is happening fast, 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 fast. Uh, the, everyone's heart is pounding. You, 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 read, you read these verses. If you've come to church, you've read these verses before. If you grew up in church, you've heard these verses read. You knew about that, that, that you know, uh, Peter cuts the guy's ear off, and maybe, maybe that's something that you've, you've been aware of and such. Uh, but, you know, when you read it, it has a bit of a sterile tone to it, does it not? Yeah, it does. You kind of, you know, you read these verses. If you grew up around church, uh, yes, you know, Jesus then stepped forward and said, I am he, and then they fell to the ground. And then Peter slashed off the right ear of the, the, the slave, and then Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. And when you hear it read, it's typically read in church, in nice, soothing church tones, so that you understand the slashing off of the man's ear was a gentle thing. Like, what on earth is actually happening in this text? It's happening fast to us in the narrative. Oh, we read it slowly and we read it gently and we see this happened and then this happened and then this happened. To these people, this is all happening at once. Everybody's heart is pounding. Everybody's adrenaline gland is pumping. Everyone's really freaked out right now. And then Peter, Peter pulls out a sword. 
what is Peter even doing with a sword? Anybody remember what Peter does for a living? He's a fisherman. Do fishermen, in your experience, use swords? No, they don't. I actually know a couple of guys who've done some commercial work in fishing. And I asked one, hey, when you were a commercial fisherman, did you ever use a sword? And he said, what? A sword? You know, like a, so he goes, well, no, I had a good knife. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about a, a sword. Yeah, no, no swords. Why does Peter even have a sword? Now, we don't know if the other apostles armed themselves, but remember what we talked about. Military connotations, military connotations. Peter believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter wants the Messiah to come and snap the yoke of Roman rule. Peter wants Jesus to set, set back in place the, the, the commonly understood truth that the, that the Jewish people are God's chosen. Peter is waiting for Jesus to kick some butt. So he's ready. He's ready to go. And he's come, he's come with a weapon. So he draws a sword and cuts a man's ear off. Everybody take your index finger and touch your right ear. Touch the space between your head and your ear. How narrow a gap is that? Unless you're out there kicking it like Dumbo, it's like this big. <laughs> and you got big ears, God bless you, I'm not trying to make fun, but like, for most people, that gap is half the width of your index finger. Let me ask you a question. How good with a sword do you have to be to separate a man's ear from his head? How good do you have to be Answer, better than Peter. <laughs> better than Peter. And how sharp does the blade have to be to not just glance off the guy's ear, but actually to cut the cartilage and cut it off? What kind of a blade is he using? Is this, is this Hattori Hanzo steel? Is this a Tarantino movie? What on earth is happening? And how, could you go with me for a minute into the moment? How do you cut a man's ear off and not also cut off his arm. You ever wonder that? No, you don't wonder that. It's because you have real jobs, normal people. I know. <laughs> this is what I have to do. I have to stare at this stuff and go, what was really happening? So here's my take on it. You ready? Yeah. Peter wasn't aiming for his ear. Peter was aiming for his head. There's no way Peter's good enough with a blade to exact that kind of precision. No, he's just lost his cool. He's just totally come around the bend. And the only way you're coming down on somebody's ear and not severing their arm is if they are glancing away from you. So Peter, if you can imagine it, is slashing down with a sword, just absolutely ready to split this guy in half. Incidentally, Peter, having lost his cool, is not suicidal, so he doesn't pick a fight with a Roman guard. He picks a fight with a presumably unarmed slave. And he comes down with his blade like this, aiming to, to cut this guy in half, 
Malchus, who, because this isn't a story where everyone stands still, is a human being with some semblance of self-preservation instinct, moves to, to duck the blow, and the blade catches his ear on the way down. It's the only way it makes sense. And I hate what happens next. I just hate what happens next, what Jesus says to him. Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering my Father has given me? Oh, I hate that. I just hate it. You know why I hate it? Because when it's my turn to drink from the cup of suffering, I don't want it. And I get upset, and I start whining, and I start complaining about how unfair it is that I should have to suffer this way, and how, how surely there's someone else out there who's more deserving of this suffering. And, and, and I, I, like, I, I don't know if I've ever had the maturity when suffering comes my way, because suffering is going to come all of our ways at some point, yes? Jesus is explicit about this. In this life, you will have sorrow. In this life, you will have trials. There will be suffering. This is, life is hard. Life is gonna bring you difficulty. There's gonna be suffering. It's part of the experience. And when it comes my way, I almost, now I don't know if I've ever had the maturity to just say, I need to receive this cup from the Father. Sometimes it's just my time to hurt. Church, listen up. Sometimes it's just your time to hurt. Doesn't mean God's abandoned you. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. This is life. Sometimes it's just your turn to hurt. And when that comes to me, when the cup of suffering comes to me, I want to spill it. I want to smack it away. I want to talk about how unfair it is. And I want to, I want to create like this whole like worldview in my head where I don't really deserve any of that. And none of this has anything to do with the word deserve. The world is broken by sin. If we're keeping track, we're all getting a lot better than we deserve right now. So Jesus says, shall I not drink this cup of suffering the Father has given me? And I hate that verse because I want to find the maturity in myself to say that, and I'm still struggling to find it. Can you relate to that? Hard. Hard stuff. And now it goes sideways for Peter. Very next verse, this is verse 12. So the soldiers, their commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple, this is John, by the way, that other disciple was acquainted with the high priest so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves. 
and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Okay, so John identifies himself to us as the narrator. In the first century, it was considered the height of rudeness for an author to refer to, to, refer to himself in the first person, which is why at no time in any of the Gospels do you hear, so one time Jesus said this to me, or one time Jesus and I were walking along and the two of us did this. Authors don't refer to themselves in the first person. So when you read, there was one disciple who knew the high priest and he had a hookup and he got there first and he was the one that got Peter into the courtyard. That's John going, yeah, I was the one with the hookup. That's what's happening. Now Peter comes in and as he's entering, a servant girl looks at him and says, uh, hey, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And Peter goes, no. Strike one. Strike one. Jesus recently said to Peter, I mean, were his words not ringing in the man's head? Peter, Jesus recently said to Peter, Peter was, Peter was running his mouth. Peter's that guy in the New Testament. He's always running his mouth. Do you know somebody who's always saying the wrong thing, thinking before they speak? And don't say me, that's not nice. Um, Peter was running his mouth, claiming how, how you know, pro pro proclaiming his loyalty to Jesus and how he would die for him. And Jesus looks at him and goes, Pete, before the sun comes up, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know me three times before the rooster crows. Strike one. And he comes into the courtyard, and something interesting is going on. There's a, there's a fire. They've built a fire to warm themselves around. But it's a very specific kind of fire, a kind of fire we're going to talk about in a couple of months because we're ending the Gospel of John with the resurrection narrative, but there is a two-chapter epilogue to the Gospel of John that we're going to come back to. And when we do, we're going to come back to this fire, this charcoal fire. This word only appears two times in the whole Bible for charcoal fire. It's the Greek word, Semepsikoi. And I know you don't care about the Greek word semepsikoi, but they made me learn it in seminary, so now you have to hear about it. That's how that works. Okay, so we'll come back to the fire. Now, verse 10, sorry, verse 19. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I've preached regularly in the synagogues, in the temple, where the people gather. I've not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest, he demanded? Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again. Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Tomorrow is the worst day of Jesus' life. 
today is the worst day of Peter's. This is the worst moment of his life. Have you ever screwed up so badly? Have you ever blown it so badly? Betrayed those around you? Let, let everybody down? Let yourself down? Your family? Your friends? Have you ever just been to the depth of despair? Been to a place where you felt like maybe you could never come back? Like you're just going to have to move to Alaska and start all over. That's where Peter is. He's at the depths. It's not recorded for us in John's gospel, but there's another narrative. In the gospel of Mark, it's recorded for us that when the rooster crows, Jesus turned from across the courtyard and made eye contact with Peter. That from across the courtyard, when the rooster crows, Jesus turns and looks directly at him, right in the eye. Now that's interesting, because Mark wasn't there. Mark wasn't one of the twelve. Mark's gospel was written as dictation from Peter. Which means... What we find in Mark's gospel is what Peter wanted written down. John either didn't see it or didn't want to record Peter's worst moment for posterity, but Peter wanted to make sure everybody understood the depth of his worst moment. Peter wanted and understood that every, so, so, every, so all of us, thousands of years later, I mean, Peter never could have foreseen that we would be 2,000 years later reading his words, but Peter wanted it recorded. In that moment, the Lord turned and made eye contact with me, and it says that he went outside the gate and wept bitterly. Yeah, you better believe he wept bitterly. And I'm guessing he threw up. And I'm guessing he laid there in it. Because he was, he was horrified with himself. Because he had come to the bottom and made eye contact with God himself. And herein we find our story. That God did not come for the holy. He didn't come for the righteous the good, the church folk. Uh, he came for the broken, the messed up, the jacked up, screwed up, at the bottom of your barrel, lying in a pool of your own puke, just having lost it all. That's who Jesus came for. That's you and I. Broken and needing him so badly. Peter exits the scene, and now the narrative turns back to Jesus. Verse 28. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. That means midnight. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go in because it would defile them, so they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? 
Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king? Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He's not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. So what's happening here? Mob mentality. You understand mob mentality? Mob mentality is what makes genocide possible. If you've studied human history, right, from time to time, genocide happens in the world. There are some atrocities happening in Ukraine right now. Not sure if that'll get classified, if it makes the, the, the cut for genocide, but there's some awful stuff happening there. And if you don't have to look back too far to, to, to like Darfur, or Rwanda, or Armenia, or you just kind of come back through history, and from time to time, you find large numbers of people capable of doing profound evil to one another. And in this case, you have a mob, many of whom, scholars believe, were laying palm branches down on the road just a few days ago, now are calling for the execution of an innocent man, a man who demonstrably has done nothing wrong. From time to time, we're all tempted to get caught up in mob mentality. You don't think you do, but you do. Anytime you come across somebody who doesn't agree with you, these are short steps. You think that? You vote like that? That's your worldview? You're crazy. You're out of your mind. I don't even know how to talk to you. You, you must be out of you, you. You're an idiot. You're obviously an idiot. And now you've got a whole bunch of people over here like, yeah, can you believe this? Can you believe what this guy thinks? He's an idiot. He's crazy. And then there's a bunch of people over here going, yeah, I can't believe this guy thinks that way. These guys all think that way. They, they think we're crazy. We think they're crazy. And, and, and by the way, we're right, and so that makes us righteous. Oh, no, 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 no. We're the ones who are right, and that makes us righteous, and that makes you unrighteous. Is any of this sounding familiar? Man, it's a short, it's just a short little jump to... These people are crazy. They're so wrong-headed, the world would be better without them. They're so crazy. They're just so wrong-headed. They're just so categorically, like, galactically wrong that the world would be better without them, and so maybe the world would be better without them. You just take a few steps there, and now you've got mob mentality. And this right here is where we pause. This right here is where we segue into the Good Friday narrative, the crucifixion narrative. Because the mob has had its way. Nobody's thinking clearly. Nobody's operating in love. Nobody's pondering anybody's righteousness. Everyone just wants what they want and wants to be right and thinks that being right makes them righteous. Check yourself one last time on that front as we head into Easter week. Can you? And with that, we'll pause and pick it up right from here 
Friday night in the Good Friday narrative. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And the scripture just broke us a little bit today because we, we see ourselves in it. We don't want to drink from the cup of suffering when it comes our way. We don't want to just receive that sometimes it's our time to hurt. We'd rather talk about how unfair it all is. And we've denied you, and we've acted like, like, like it's no big deal. And we've come to the bottom and come to the end and felt like we were so outcast and so ruined that we'd never be able to make it back. But still, your love comes for us. As we receive that love, may we be men and women who turn that love around and show it to the world around us. May that be true in my life. May that be true in all of our lives as we prepare to celebrate Good Friday and Easter. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.